Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49. Our scripture reading this morning will be found beginning at verse 1 through verse 4. Genesis chapter 49. And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then defilest thou it. He went up to my couch. Pray with me, please, Heavenly Father. We're indeed thankful that we can come to this place that you've given us to worship you. We thank you, Lord, for each one who's here this morning with a desire to hear from your word, what your word has for us today. Thank you, Lord, for our pastor and for the stance that he takes, Lord, in faithfully presenting the gospel to us day in and day out. We pray a special blessing upon him and his uh, the uh, the specialist that he will see this coming week to help uh, clear up the voice, the voice that, uh, that we hear, Lord, and th- that uh, you have blessed in so many ways to present your gospel. And, Lord, we pray that your hand will be uh, in that and be your will to uh, clear up. And Lord, we enjoy hearing our pastor present your word to us, and we look forward to many more years of uh, faithful ministering of your word. This morning we pray that our hearts will be attentive and receptive to hear your word and be obedient to what it has for us. These things we pray in your name. Amen. I am not a Moses, but I thank the Lord that I did call the exterminators and they came in and declared war on all the flies we've been having around here. So at least I told the man who was doing the exterminating, I said, I don't know if this is a good idea or not. He said, why is that? Well, I said, for the first time, all of my people were awake last Sunday. And I thought, really, some of you were really getting happy. I'd see this every once in a while, you know. But uh, understand, uh, uh, Brother Connie declared war on one and missed it. You need one of those smart bombs, don't you, Brother Connie? I'll tell you right now. But it's good to be in the Lord's house. Please turn again in your Bible to the book of Genesis. Genesis, the 49th chapter. And I'll be talking to you for a few moments this morning on this great subject. I thought I'd simply call this... Uh, Let me uh, tell your fortune. Let me tell you uh, your fortune. And that's what Jacob seemingly is doing uh, as he, uh, in a very prophetic way, uh, describes uh, each of his sons uh, and those descendants of theirs and what their lives would be uh, in the future. So he is, in a sense, telling them their fortune. Jacob, of course, you'll find at this point in the Bible, is at the sunset of his life. He is on his last leg. Jacob is about to close the chapter on his life and head homeward. But his thoughts go to his boys. And he calls them together and they gather around him and I picture them as coming, standing around his sick bed. And Jacob begins to talk to them and shares with them the vision that the Lord had provided him. You know, it seems to me too that Jacob here again is a dreamer. Parents do dream, especially when it comes to their children. And it's all right to dream. Could I maybe use another word? It's all right to plan, 
to think ahead and have your desires for those children that God has given to you. We plan for their success. We plan for their lives to be happy. We plan for their lives and dream that someday they will be fruitful servants for our Lord Jesus Christ. And as I said, it's all right to dream. And you as a, as a mother or a father, you have had dreams for your children. And your mother and father had dreams for you as well as for me. Yet I think I need to remind you of this, that just as we make foolish choices and they affect our children and our descendants, so do our children sometimes make foolish choices in their lives. You see, when Jacob named his first son, he named him Reuben. And the word Reuben means, behold a son. Or it may well mean, in the Hebrew language, of the vision of a son. It seems to imply that Jacob had great plans for this, his first son. And I'm sure that he was a happy fellow when uh, Reuben came into uh, their life. Reuben, of course, is the first son by Jacob's wife, uh, Leah. And so uh, Reuben comes into his life and there have been plans and dreams, uh, aspirations and hopes uh, for this uh, son uh, who was born into his family. But yet just as Jacob, sometimes our dreams do not come true. We dream the best. We dream for the good. But sometimes the bad happens. Tragedy befalls them. And thus it did this son of Jacob named Reuben. I think of another instance when the dreams of a father certainly failed. I think of David's dream, no doubt, of a son that seemed to be such a favorite of his, his son named Absalom. The word Absalom means father of peace. And David somehow had the idea that this boy, this son of his, Absalom, would be an instrument to bring peace and to bring tranquility not only to his own life, but to his own kingdom and his own nation. But you remember how that dream fell through. For Absalom became a hostile rebel against his own father trying to overthrow him, trying to dethrone him, and trying literally to take the kingdom away from his father. And yet when Absalom died, the broken-hearted king of Israel cried, Oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son, would that I had died in thy stead. And so dreams do not always come true. The dreams that some have had of a marriage, of a happy kind of marriage, of a permanency, a stability, and yet those dreams have fallen through. And so it is, we must remember that just as you and I have choices, so do others. Your children are human beings. And just as you and I have made wrong choices in life, so they make wrong choices as well. And so Jacob has a dream, a vision, and God gave him this son whose name was Reuben. As we said, he is the firstborn of, Jacob's, of Jacob by his wife Leah. Reuben became the founder and the head of one of the 12 tribes in Israel, and they were known as the Reubenites. I looked to and found that Reuben was a filial son, and I mean by that, he had great admiration for his parents. 
I read on one occasion uh, that he brought to his mother Leah mandrakes. Now, when I first read that many years ago, I had the picture of a goose or something. But that's not what mandrakes are in the Bible. They're flowers, beautiful flowers. And here is a son who brings flowers to his mother. That's a very tender uh, tender scene to me, for it expresses that he had a love and a care and a concern for his own mother. I want you then to look at five or six things, if time permits, in the life of Reuben. First of all, we're going to look at his privileges, or we could call it his potentiality. Secondly, I want us to look at his personality. The third thing that you'll observe in his life is his passion. The passion of this young Reuben. And then we'll take a glimpse at his posterity. That is, his descendants, those who followed him. We'll look at his pain, but also we'll look certainly at his pardon. Now look with me just for a few moments at this unusual man whose name is Reuben. His privileges are very clearly defined in the Old Testament. For he was the firstborn in the family. And as the firstborn in a Jewish family, he was to be the successor in the family as head of the family. He was secondly to have the distinction and the honor of being the priest in the family. That is, the spiritual leader. The one who would intervene between his family and the Lord God of Israel. Indeed, it is always a privilege that you and I have to be an instrument of prayer on behalf of our children and of our family. Greg brought us such a stirring opening in our Sunday school about the value and the need of a family altar in every one of our homes. And yet again, this very privilege would have been young Reuben. But thirdly, a great privilege he had was that as the firstborn, he would receive a double portion of the inheritance of his father. What privileges this young man had. And yet he threw them away. I think of a man by the same token that Ira talked to us about in the Sunday school hour. You need to be in that class in this class, to learn more of the scripture. But Judas was a man who was named, and his name means praise. But he turned out, instead of being a man of praise, he turned out to be a curse. No doubt his mother and father had dreams for him. And yet Judas became the betrayer. He sold our Lord Jesus Christ. And so hear what privilege he had to have heard the voice of Jesus, to have seen the mighty miracles he performed, to feel the presence and power of, of God in human flesh as he walked on this earth. What privilege he had, but yet he threw it all away for 30 pieces of silver. Reuben had great privilege. But he wasted that privilege and threw it away. I think we'll see just a little bit more of that in a moment as we look at his passion, which was the thing that led him into this terrible state of nothingness, of ruin, and of failure. But I want you to look just briefly with me at his personality. Somebody said it like this that the todays of our life form the tomorrows of our life. Our past has a way of governing the future. Who you are today can determine 
to a great extent what you will be tomorrow. And yet again, let me remind you of this wondrous truth, and that is, uh, though you may be now uh, uh, wrong and sinful and evil in your ways of life and rebellion, uh, ah, God's grace can change your life and can change your future the way some of you are headed right now. You're headed for a dismal future. In the rebellion of your heart, the attitude of your heart, the stubbornness of your heart, the unbrokenness and unwillingness of your heart, I can tell you now, unless something happens, I can tell you without hesitation, you have a dark future awaiting. And yet if you're here today and you've rejected Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Master and Savior of your life, you face even a darker and more dismal future. For without Christ, your future is spelled in that awful word, hell. The place of eternal banishment from God where men will burn in the flame of judgment forever and forever. I can tell you your future. And yet I want to say that God's grace can make a change in your future. And yet every one of us here, every one of us, when we were born, we were born headed for hell. David said, in sin did my mother conceive. I was shaped in iniquity. He was saying, I've been a sinner since the time I came into this world. And yet, my friend, unless a miracle of God's grace occurs, if you're walking on the road to hell, you're going to wind up there. I'm glad I can tell you, even as Paul did when in 1 Corinthians 6 and at verse 9, he talks about some who were drunkards, some who were vile, some who were abominable. And then he said, but you, but that's what you were, but you are now cleansed. You have been washed. You have been made whole. And that can happen. But apparently that touch of grace Reuben refused. That touch of grace, Judas Iscariot refused. There was no change in the direction he was headed. But look at his personality. The Bible reveals in verse 4, unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. Unstable as water. Reuben was an impetuous young man. By the word impetuous, I mean that his life was characterized by spontaneous impulse of action or even his emotion. And there are many people who are governed by their emotions. They're governed with impulsiveness. That is, the kind of person who does what they do and they do it quickly even without thinking of the consequence. And that's what happens sometimes when some of you ladies go shopping. I hope you're not an impetuous shopper. If so, you're going to pick up this and buy this and buy that because it's the first thing you saw and you were impressed with it but you didn't think about the consequence the dress was really too small for you to start with. And yet that's the impetuous kind of personality. That impetuous person is governed by his very emotion. And so it appears that Reuben was that kind of impetuous young man. And you'll see that in just a moment as you look at his passion with me. But notice also that Reuben was a man of instability. He was unstable as water. You know, I can see Reuben as his chest swells and he begins to smile within himself as Jacob says to him, you're the firstborn of my strength, the firstborn of my might. 
You are a man of dignity, of excellence. But he said, Reuben, you're like unstable water. Now, you know, water is unstable. If I had a square box and poured water in it, you know what the water would do? It would run to the four corners of that square box. It would conform to whatever it's put in. If you were to put it in some round object, water would conform to that. Water as well seeks the lowest level. I was just up in Virginia last week and they had had a flood. And water filled the basement of that church. I mean, just ruining everything in the church. But water seeks the lowest level. And so Jacob said, Reuben, you're an excellent boy. You, you have great potential and possibility. But you let the outward things sway you. I hear Paul pleading with a Corinthian Christian and he said, be not conformed to this world. Some of you right here, you can't stand being different from the modern fads of our present generation. What anybody's doing, you go along with it. How anybody's attitude is, you fall right in line. And yet that was Reuben's problem. But watch this terrible prediction. Jacob said, Reuben, I love you, but you're unstable. You have not set your heart. You have not your heart fixed. Did I preach on that last Sunday? The stability. Did I? Brother Bell said, I'm hey, the rest of you looking like a calf and looking at a new barn door. But nonetheless, fixed. He had not really settled this thing in his heart. I'm going to serve God. I've made up my mind. I've made my decision. And this is the way I'm going. No, he was like so many today, like unstable water. If the crowd's drinking, you go along. They're telling dirty jokes, you go along. If they're watching dirty movies, you watch with them. If they're going to places that are questionable or if the fashion is questionable, you just go along with it. You don't have enough backbone spiritually to say this is what is right and I've governed myself by this decision. I'm going to follow Jesus. And so Reuben was unstable. Let me, let me say this. He was also immoral. The Bible reveals in the scripture in chapter 35 of Genesis that he went up to the wife of Jacob and there became sexually involved with a concubine of Jacob. You know what that spells? It spells incest. Now, polygamy was an accepted thing in the society in the time of Jacob. There are many men in the Bible who had more than one wife. Now, concubine, by the way, was a wife legally. However, she did not have the right that the, the, the marriage to the first wife had at all. She was not a slave, but she did not have the authority of the household affairs. So don't think of her a concubine when you read this in the scripture of some kind of street walker or prostitute. No, not at all. She was a legal wife of the midst. David had concubines. Solomon had many. Uh, Abraham had concubines. And yet they were late. Now, though it was polygamy, that is the marriage to many wives, was legally accepted in this period, I want to remind you that it was never the intended purpose of God when he put man and woman upon this earth. 
That was not his plan. But now watch this. I thought this morning as I was showering, getting ready for church today, I thought, you know, if they had followed the divine creative intent that God had established of one man for one woman for one lifetime, perhaps Reuben would not have been tempted. If Jacob, his father, had not been loose in this area and had followed the creative intention of God, all of this wouldn't happen. I want to tell you this, and please understand, even in the case of divorce, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean, I'm just stating a fact. God's intention is never for divorce. God's not for it. He's opposed to that. Now, he loves those who've gone through the trauma of divorce. But listen to me. That was not God's creative intent. As a result, even in our society, we have many who have gone through that traumatic experience, whether right or wrong or with fault or no fault. Let me tell you, problems always come as a result. A father has children. The woman has children. And they have children. And there's seemingly a problem that always comes up. There's always something to deal with. There's always something that hurts the heart. Now, what I'm trying to tell you is this. I'm not putting the blame on anybody other than the fact that mankind as a whole has gone away from the creative intention that God had for man and woman. We've gotten in trouble. I'm going to say something else. No, I'm not going to. I've said enough to get you angry with me already. But let me just say that perhaps, perhaps this tragedy and ruin in the life of Reuben would have never transpired if Jacob had not had a concubine. Do y'all understand me? Nod your head if you do. Now, if you're mad at me, you can come up and we'll kiss and make up after church. But I do want you to think about some things. All right, I can deal with other things. I can deal with matters of race. I can deal with matters in society. Uh, I can deal in, with matters in the home. How so much tragedy. When, listen, I, I'm going to really get it now. I didn't mean to get on all this. You take in a home, if the father is not the active head of that home, you've got trouble on your hands. Now, the father has been designed by God to be the head of the wife. That doesn't mean the wife is of, of, of less importance, but it simply means that God chose for the man to have that position of leadership and authority. But when the India, when the, when, when the Braves, and I'm not talking about Atlanta, but when the braves are running the camp and not the chief, you've got trouble in the camp. Y'all understand me? So then I'm trying to get you to see that if we would only learn to follow God's plan, oh, how wonderful this world would have been. But man, every man to his own way, we have chosen out of now, now, I'll move on. He was not only a ball, but he was impatient. He had an impatience in his personality. He wasn't willing to wait, and that is evidence even in his offspring. For when they came out of Egypt and up through the wilderness, and they got ready to go over into the promised land, you know what Reuben's crowd said? Moses, we got a lot of cows. And this land over here is real fertile on the east side of the Jordan, down here around the east of the Dead Sea. We just prefer to stay over here, and y'all can go on and take the promised land across the river. They were impatient people. Re 
though his descendants were like the, the founder of that tribe. And you know, I think one of the most heartbreaking things in life is for a parent to see reflected in his child his own fault. The, the things that he knew, know, he'd rather not have had in his life and then to see them crop up in their children. That's a heartbreak. But yet, Reuben, he did not excel because of the things in his personality that brought him here. Now, let me give you a third thought concerning his passion. We've looked at his privileges. Boy, he had opportunities. He, uh, he had, uh, uh, he had a, a personality that needed working on, and so do we all. But yet, his passion governed him. How insensitive this young man was. Jacob's wife, Rachel, whom he loved, died. And now they're in mourning. But you know what this son Reuben did? While his father was brokenhearted, he goes up to his own headquarters in his bedroom. And he lies with the wife of his father. How insensitive. You look at some people today and say, how in the world could they do that? I'll tell you something. You have the same potential, every one of you. So don't pin too many flowers on you. No, I didn't say, you, yeah, you have the potential for the worst kind of sin. Why? Because of our nature that we inherited from Adam. This old carnal self is, has the potential of being a liar, a cheat, an adulterer, a murderer. Oh, we have that potential. And that's the reason Paul the Apostle said, I keep under my body, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul was saying that my passions, my desires, my lust will not be the master of my life. Listen to me. If you don't hear a thing else I say, I want you to listen to what I'm about to tell you. A man or woman must master their passions or their passions will master them. Now write that down. Don't forget it. If you do not master your desires, if you're not in the control yourself, the things in your life that you know are not right will control you. That's the reason Paul wrote to young Timothy. And he said to him in 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, Flee also youthful lusts. The word lust meaning desire of any kind. And so he's saying, don't be under the control of your emotions, of your passions, of your feelings. And a lot of people are governed by nothing more than their feelings. I don't know how many times people come in and say, well, preacher, I feel like it's all right. And I show them in the Bible it's not right. And they say, well, I sure feel like it's all right. And go ahead and do the thing they feel instead of doing the thing that's right. God help us to grow and mature so in Christ that it'll feel right to do right. And so this young man was governed by his passion. You know, when I talk about lust and passion, we generally equate that with some kind of sexual activity or immorality. But a person can be mastered by the passion he has for wealth. For wealth. He wants a little more. Somebody says, oh, I wish I had a million dollars. Yeah, you wish you had another million. And if you got two million, you'd want three million. Man is governed by his passion. What he feels 
knows he wants and he's governed by that and he makes his decision based upon his passion or his passion may be women. I've known many a man in the pew, in the pulpit, in the choir. I have known people of all walks of life, men who have fallen because of their passion for women. And I've known many women to fall because of a passion they had for some man other than their husband. Now I'll tell you, I'm being plain, but we live in plain. And it's time for us to understand some things and get them up on the line as a target where we can shoot at them. But many a person gone by their feelings, their passion. It may be wealth. It may be women or men. Or it may be the world. Demons have forsaken me having loved this present world. He loved this world. He loved its style. He loved its philosophy. He loved its, uh, he loved its uh, uh, a way, its course, and therefore governed by it. And so many I see are governed this day by the world. The standard Hollywood sets many Americans try to follow. I'd just soon follow the pattern that's set by a hog as I would some of the things that Hollywood said. And yet, well, you, if you've ever seen me eat, you may think I'm doing that. <laughs> what I want you to get a hold of is don't let your passion, how you feel. And so many people just, I mean, that's what they do. If they feel like blowing their stack, they blow it. If they feel like be, uh, laying out of church, and I hear, I hear people Say that. Well, I just, you know, I didn't feel like coming. You know, it's strange sometimes we get that Sunday sickness. You know, people get sick on Sunday. Maybe can't do anything but stay home watch television. But boy, when Monday comes, they hit the work trail. They may be limping on one leg, like Brother Lively can't see out of but one eye. And like guy down here couldn't hear a thing without a hearing aid. And yet what I'm saying, we just go ahead. Isn't it strange that we just get to feeling bad on Sunday? Yeah, I can tell some of y'all wiggling and we don't even have any flies right here this morning. So governed by the right passion. He, his passion brought him down. And that's what... Jacob says, unstable is water, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed. You know, Reuben's sin was not, judgment didn't come on him the moment he sinned. And I imagine this young fellow thought everything was all right. He had never squared it up with his father. But in this dying moment of Jacob, if all the rest of the boys, they didn't know a thing about it. But in this moment, Jacob said, Reuben, you went up to my bedroom. You committed incest with my wife. Jake, hey, Reuben must have been shocked and turned pale as a sheep. He thought everything was covered. But now it comes, I will tell you something. One of these days, Every man and woman of this house will stand before God. And the hidden things, the secret things, the things we know are not right that we're covering up going to come out in the open. At the judgment seat of Christ, I'm afraid many of us just going to be, well, like they used to say, get in by the skin of our teeth. It's a place of reward, and I fear that many of us will not even have any reward. Perhaps instead of reward, we'll have rebuke. What you need to understand, folks, is Reuben did not excel because he gave in. Think, think of Esau who gave away his birthright for nothing more than a mess of pottage. And Judas sold out his right and claimed the heaven for 30 little meager pieces of silver. His posterity were affected by his own decision. 
Ladies and gentlemen, what you do and what I do and my choices and the person I am will affect my descendants and will affect you and will affect everybody who knows you. So you see how important it is. If we're going to have a good future, you need to live a good present life. If you don't want any scars in the future, don't get involved in a scrap and let the world knife you and cut you. But notice his pain. Every man wants to excel. He wants to be a success. And Jacob said to him, Son, because you're unstable as water, and by the way, the Hebrew term here is suggestive of water that boils over. And how many times people just have that boiling over kind of, of a, a, a character. They get mad and just boil over all of a sudden and they boil over with someone and they say things and do things and act ways that after they boiled over, they're sorry. But once you boil over, you don't get it back. You can ask God's forgiveness and the forgiveness of others. But once a thing is done, it's done. Thou shalt not excel. I've painted an awful grim picture. But I want you to look in Deuteronomy as I close. Deuteronomy chapter 33. Adultery and sexual immorality in the Old Testament under the law of Moses. The law said that one found guilty. You remember what the penalty was? Stoning. Death. So in Deuteronomy, I've never found it. Deuteronomy chapter 33. I want you to look at verse 6. Reuben is deserving death. Reuben ought to die. Reuben ought to fry in the electric chair. Reuben ought to be hung. He ought to have his head cut off. That's what the law says. But look as Moses speaks. He's the head. He's the one who God gave the law through. Verse 6 says, Let Reuben live <laughs> and not die. And let not his men be few. Now, you know what that verse spells? It spells G-R-A-C-E, grace. Now, you may not have been guilty of the sin that Reuben was, but you're headed to the same place of perdition and failure without the touch of God's grace in your life. Now, the law condemns. But grace brings freedom. And all because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took your dirty, rotten, filthy sin upon himself and died the death that you deserve and I deserve. And through that sacrifice of himself, says to men and women, you can be free, the past is forgiven, you can live and not die. Listen to these words. He that believeth is not condemned. <laughs> he that believeth not is condemned already. John also records the one who has refused to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who became your sacrifice, the one who died in your place, the one who provided the blood that a holy God demanded. That one, if he is rejected, you will remain under condemnation. I mean, whether you know it or not, without Christ, you're on death row. Your sentence has already been passed. But the Lord's simply saying, you can live and not die. The man that believes on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, 
You're more than an old carcass made out of dirt. You're more than flesh and more than blood. You are a living, immortal, eternal soul. That's the real you. And when you die physically and your old carcass is planted out in the graveyard, you, the real you, you're going somewhere. According to the scripture, either heaven or hell. Now, if you're still under condemnation, that means you're under the death sentence. Hell awaits you. But the Lord's saying, if you'll believe on the one who died in your place, you can live and not die. Think of Barabbas a moment. Deserving to die. Guilty of crime, murder, robbery. He was a thief and a murderer. And yet the sentence was, Barabbas, you're going to die. You have committed terrible sin. But someone died in his place, didn't he? The Lord Jesus was crucified on the cross that Barabbas deserved. He was crucified on the cross that you deserve and I deserve. He died the death that we deserve, that we could go free. That's the reason the verse says, Reuben, you can live and not die. You deserve to go to hell is what he's saying. You deserve the severest judgment of God, but you can live. And I want to close by telling you, you don't have to die. But unless you experience God's grace in the receiving of the gift of His Son, you're going to perish. Do you understand me? And my dear Christian, you go ahead, live your life, do what you want to do, but just be reminded whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Harvest times are coming. You can flaunt God's law and God's will, but there's a payday coming, whether you want it or not. I pray that we'll realize through the life of Reuben and all the tragedy. He didn't excel. He didn't prosper. Even his, his tribe never became a tribe of renown. There were no kings, there were no priests, there were none of these blessed things again. I said, let me tell you one other thing. I'm going to tell you anyhow. Do you know where Judas Iscariot came from? You know what the name Iscariot means? It means the man of Kirioth. K-E-R-I-O-T-H. If you'd look that up on a map in the back of your Bible, you know where you'll find it? in the territory of the Reubenites. You see, Reuben didn't excel and neither did his tribe. And out of his tribe came the betrayer of Jesus Christ. What you do and how you live and the attitude of your heart will show up in the life of your offspring. But even so, you may live a good life and a godly life and yet not be spared of heartache in your offspring. You see, oftentimes we want to blame ourselves and say, if I had done so and so, if I had done, if I had been. And yet Adam and Eve had a perfect parent. God, the perfect God, a perfect parent. And yet Adam and Eve rebelled and disobeyed God. What's it saying? Your children just like you and just like me have a choice. We can either obey or we can disobey. But there are consequences of either. There is result of obedience. There's result of disobedience. Well, I'm going to have to close. Got a lot more to like talk to you about, but you got enough in your wagon to take home with you this morning. Amen. Thank you, Paul Paul. I want you to think about it. My heart's burdened, my heart's concerned. And I know you want 
those around you to excel and succeed. And I want you to. Nothing thrills me anymore than to see you, our people, excel in your life. I mean, even in everything, in your family, your possessions, your pleasures, all, all of these things. I want you to excel. I want you to excel as Christian men and women. But you have a choice. You have a decision. Either to mind God or not mind you. Let's pray together. Father, you know the burden of my heart. You know how, Lord, I desire that our people prosper. And when I, when I say that, Lord, you understand that I'm not talking about people getting rich necessarily or having all the earth. I'm not talking about that. And I hope, dear Lord, our folks understand that. Well, there are a lot of folks who are even millionaires, but they're a failure and a flop in their life. We know there's more to prosperity than, than Lord, some money in the bank. And I pray today that you'll help us to be governed not by our passions, but by the precepts of thy word that you have given us. Now, Lord, I pray for anybody here that has realized that they were born on the wrong road and headed in the wrong direction. There's never been a time when they turned around, when they repented and asked you to be their Savior. Grant that they'll do it here this morning. And if there's some of your children who... Lord, you've dealt with their hearts. Some maybe you've dealt with about membership and fellowship in this church. And Lord, help us to realize that the decisions we make today will affect tomorrow in our life. So Lord, may right now every one of us ask, Lord, what would you have me do? What, Lord, must I do? And may right now Without any hesitation, folks in this audience make the decision that you have spoken to them about. Now, thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet, please.